And happy Mother's Day from all of us here at Newland Christian Church as we want to just continue uh, your day in a a blessed and beautiful way. Uh, Remembering the mothers, uh, whether you're able to celebrate with them or you're celebrating a memory. Um, Having said goodbye to my mother um, 15 years ago, this is the 16th. Uh, Mother's Day without her and you know it's a difficult task to even think of that knowing that uh, how I would have loved to see her Uh, she would have celebrated 70 years back in March and um, hard to believe how different life is and and you think of ages that you see others' mothers, and you, and you have the tendency to get jealous. But I'm I'm going to encourage you today by saying, you know, not always do we have to worry about those things. So, um, truly grateful to be able to come and remember her in such a way. But we do hope that you mothers out there have a beautiful and wonderful Mother's Day, uh, celebrating with your family. We hope so. Uh, We'll get to today's sermon. Now, the sermon is not necessarily about um, mothers, but it does have a tie-in. You'll hear it. But uh, thank you for joining us today for our message as we continue the story with Abram, or later Abraham. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn with us, the text is going to be in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 18, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to ask this question as we open up. We've been we've been preaching through Genesis, and uh, to keep with that, you know, we uh, are going to just continue that story. But think with me about things in, in your life that are slow to start. Um. And I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, so this is more of a recap to get us back to where we are. But some things are slow starters in life. Uh, I, I think about some of the inventions that didn't quite catch on right away. Um, the first electric light bulb was so dim that they needed candles to see the socket. Um, one of the first... Uh, steamboats took 32 hours uh, to chug its way from New York to Albany which is only a distance of 150 miles that was a steamboat Um, Wilbur and Orville Wright had the first airplane flight it only lasted 12 seconds automobiles when they were first uh, created could travel two to four miles an hour and many times would break down on the side of the road enough for a carriage being pulled to come by and the passengers to yell get a horse so i mean it's it's kind of interesting to think about some of those things as we look at life and we look at the way that things don't seem to catch on right away well why Well, a lot of times we fear change. We fear something being different. And, you know, and and I do tie that in uh, to mothers in some way 
because I remember, you know, the firstborn or the second, any, you know, when a new child comes along for a mother, it changes. Everything changes and we might fear the change that's there. But, you know, it also reminds me of Abram. But I, I'm, there's a lot in today's message. It's not about mothers, but there's a lot that mothers and, and those of you who remember your mother uh, and think about your mother, you, you'll see some ties into that. But it reminds me of Abram. Abram had set out from Ur, but it took him a while to get going with God. He leaves Ur, gets stalled out for years in Haran. He then leaves Haran and barely gets the tent up before he heads to Egypt. And then he betrays his wife, the would-be mother of his child. He betrays Sarah and is forced out of Egypt by the morals of a pagan pharaoh. Now, that might seem odd for me to say and interesting in the same, but think about the fact that I mean, these are what we've talked about over the last week or two. But think about this. The morals of a pagan pharaoh. Uh, that's something that we think about in the world today. There are many who do not know the Lord who have morals. Many who do not understand what God is doing, but they have morals. And they will remind you of the morals that you as a follower of Christ should have, right? But I'm also reminded of the conformity of Abraham. Genesis 13 verses 5 and following. It says this. Now Lot who was traveling with Abram also had flocks, herds and tents, but the land was unable to support them. As long as they stayed together for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. There was quarreling among the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's. So Abram said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and I or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Now, remember last week I talked about how Abram almost gave away the promised land because Lot in this next verse Lot looked out and saw the entire plain of the Jordan as far as Zoar was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward and they separated from each other and Abram lived in the land of Canaan. But Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord took to Abram, and he said, Look at the place where you look. Look north, south, east, and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be numbered. Get up and walk around the land through its length, its width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, 
where he built an altar to the Lord. This is God's word, but let's look at this section in more detail. I did go through it last week, but I want to dive back into this chapter a little deeper because there's a whole lot that I left on the table. And and I, I almost view this as um, I, I remember back to my childhood and remember the fights that I used to have with my sibling. My sister and I would fight over things and the, the frustration that it brought to my mother. I would say it was unlike or wasn't unlike what the Lord maybe experienced with Abram and Lot here, even though it was an uncle and a nephew. But look at what is happening here. The strife. Look, conformity does not eliminate strife. Even if we conform to the things that are going on in this world or to God's ways. Conformity does not eliminate strife from our lives. Now, in the sense of Abram, we are talking about conformity with God. As he began slow 15 to 20 years into this now we see that he is now starting to come around to the lord's way but we see there's still strife he and lot having discussions about the anger and the back and forth lot also who went with abram so lot caused abram a lot of strife now Notice he's back in the will of God, yet that does not mean that he is living a stress-free and strife-free life. The early church was a godly and growing church, but it was not without its strife. Acts chapter 6 verse 1, now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. So we see that happening as we discuss these beginnings. Two godly men, Paul and Barnabas, understood strife over John Mark's calamity and his carnality. In Acts 15, 39 and 40, it says, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. James 3, 1 and 2 says, My brethren, let not many of you because of or become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment for we all stumble in many things if anyone does not stumble in word he is a perfect man able also to bridle the whole body so understand you know for us to really take heart i mean if we want to dwell with the saints who have gone on before it will be the glorious heaven we talk of. But for us to get along with folks here on earth, that might be a different story for us, right? We we get along great you know, if, if it were all heaven. But sometimes there's still strife amongst the body. We know that all too well. Well, think about the strife of abundance. We see that in the next part of verse 5 and verse 6 when when we see that um, prosperity we think that prosperity would solve all of our problems and make our lives problem free well America has been obsessed with prosperity for years I mean, think about it 
It's always been about prosperity. In fact, the American gospel has become a prosperity gospel. Talking about all of the blessings that we will receive just by being who we should be. All the material gain that God has for us. And folks, it's a dangerous thought. God never promised us material gain. He promised us our needs would be met. In fact, I think I almost want to go back to the jungle book instead and say, you know, sing the song that Baloo sang. It's the bare necessities, those simple bare necessities. Forget about your worry and your strife. That's where we need to be today as the church. You know, in 2006, a study was done on Japanese workers, and they had higher rates of anxiety, mental illness, depression, and suicide than ever before. In an attempt to globalize corporate, Japan adopted these working practices of the United States. The focus was on merit-based pay, promotions, and individualism. It was a depart from traditional Japanese emphasis on seniority and teamwork. The name of the game was individual accumulation of wealth and personal security. The result was this. 60% of the workers suffered from high anxiety. 65% of the companies reported soaring levels of mental illness. And the Japanese Mental Health Institute blamed the infiltration of Western values for the rising levels of depression among workers, the country's suicide rate, which had doubled. Prosperity is not all it's cracked up to be. If the grass is green on the other side, you can bet the water bill is higher as well. Think about that. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. The abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Look, it's not just our prosperity that can bring us strife. When we have much, we worry much. Material gain is not always what we hope it would be. But look at the next couple verses. The strife that was in the livelihood of Abram and Lot. The the herdsmen were arguing the the parasites and the canaanites then dwelt in the land and abram said to lot let there be no strife between us look he says we are brethren but strife can happen anywhere folks it can happen on the job in the family in the church wherever you know we've seen many times that you cannot eliminate the problems of this life there is and always will be something that aggravates us, that gets under our skin. Even when we walk with God, Job was righteous, yet he confessed, my soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Job chapter 10, verse 1. Solomon, the most wealthy and most wise. In Ecclesiastes 2.17 said, therefore I hated my life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So now here's a side note for you. Abram shows us how to deal with strife. 
One, he saw there was a problem, admitted it existed, right? 13.7. You can't solve a problem by ignoring it. We know that. We've seen that over and over and over again. Then he shared the problem with Lot. The first step in dealing with a problem is to admit you have the problem and then you talk about the steps that are needed moving forward, right? Not only did he say we have a problem, he offered a solution. He suggested that they might part ways. And then he, not wanting to demand or seem unreasonable or cause more strife, he let Lot have the first choice and determined to be content with what was to come. Verse 9, God had promised him the land. And so he was willing to let God fulfill the promise. Now, someone years ago came up with this clasp system of dealing with strife. First is the C, calm down. You know, anger, violence, aggression does not help. The L, lower your voice. Yelling is easier than yielding, but it solves nothing. So if we yell, then it just continues the strife. The A, acknowledge the feelings and the mindset of others. Acknowledge that there is more than just your opinion taking place here. The S is state your opinion and say what's on your mind. And the P is propose a solution. The issue is not who is right, but what is right. Folks, we as Americans, we as family members, as neighbors, as friends, would always do well to maybe adapt this class system into our lives today. We need to calm down. Lower our voices and acknowledge the feelings of others as well as share our own opinion and have conversation. But we can't just have the conversation. We must propose solution. And as we propose this solution, you know, the second thing that we see is that conformity to God encourages us a separation from the world. It encourages us to separate. Uh, the next few verses really push us in that direction even. And, um, you know, how many of us have a lot in our lives? I don't mean like a lot as in a great number of things, but a lot. Abram's nephew, Lot. How many of us have a lot in our lives? A relationship with a person that maybe God maybe asked us to, put behind us now before i get into an argument with anyone about this understand where i'm going yeah i mean we got to really understand but as we as we look at this and we think about this and we think about the these ways there are lots in our life and we're instructed in the new testament to put away the evil person um i mean first corinthians 5 9 through 13 it talks about that to us 
Um, you know, I, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. That is a believer. Um, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners. And, and Paul goes on and, and goes through all these things and says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Second uh, Thessalonians, Paul again writing to the Thessalonian church, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Uh, again, in that letter, just a few verses later, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him. Do not count him as enemy, but admonish him as a brother. He's not saying make enemies. He's saying recognize that you have a kinship, but you are not the same. Separate yourself from that worldly lifestyle that they are living. This is not saying we only fellowship with perfect people. It's not saying that the church pushes back and says, no, you're not welcome here. Do not get that confused. It's saying to us today. That it's someone who's living in unconfessed, blatant sin. Someone who is continuing to live a sinful lifestyle in such a flamboyant way. Now, don't misconstrue my words here. What he's not saying is that we only fellowship with the, this body. In fact, if we were going to only fellowship with perfect people, that would also ensure that we were not part of the included number. We would never be able to fellowship with anyone. It's talking about us, you know, living in an immoral relationship. If you know someone who is living an immoral relationship with this world. A believer that goes out of their way to be like the world. Lot is a believer, but he is a worldly one. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8, we, we see maybe part of this conversation. But, but understand what I'm saying here. I'm not at all trying to put away um, anything here. I, I'm not trying to, to make anyone feel like they have to exclude themselves from the church. But listen to this. And if he rescued righteous lot, distressed from the depraved behavior of the immoral, as for that, as for that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And think about the words there that Peter shares. We know Lot was righteous. He was saved, but he was living within the world. We have many in the church today who are doing the exact same thing as Lot. They've given up what God has called them to for the fertile grounds of the world. And they're out there living amongst them. And they can be saved out of it. By the one true God who saved Lot also. He apparently had no devotions. He never made an altar, never had any kind of prayer. He lived by worldly standards. He made worldly decisions, poor decisions. And he made a downward progression as we see in this chapter in, in a chapter later in verse or chapter 14. And then again in chapter 19, we will see how downward that spiral has gone for Lot. 
But when we get serious about our walk with God, we will no longer be like Lot. And we will refuse to allow the lots to influence us. Our contact with them will be to try and pull them out of the world, not to join them in their worldly ways. The second part of this is that we're also to separate from the wicked unbeliever. We cannot be totally separated from the wicked. We've seen that. We would have to leave the world to be separated from the wicked. You might have to work with them. You might have to coexist with them in certain environments, but you do not have to join them in their sin. Abram was separated from Sodom, and so we should be also. The separation of the believer from the ungodly is well established. I mean, we can go, you shall not follow a crowd to do, to do evil. Exodus 23.2. Those who are um, bent of doing evil, we are to reject. We see that in the Psalms. We, we see in Ezra, those that are clearly defiled. Marrying those in disbelief devices that are unclean uh, those that are engaged in the works of darkness we can go time and time and time again and go through it but finally it brings us to this place of where we see the rest of conformity here conformity opens the door to spiritual blessing spiritual abundance The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, after the separation came revelation, God manifested himself to Abram. Charles Spurgeon said, the nearer we come to God, the more graciously we will he reveal himself to us. When the prodigal comes to his father, the father runs to meet him. When the wandering dove returns to the ark, Noah puts out his hand to pull her in unto him. Come then, dear friend, let us draw nigh to God, who so graciously awaits us, yea, comes to meet us. Have you ever noticed the passage in Isaiah 58, verse 9? Isaiah 58, verse 9. Have you ever really noticed it, paid attention to it, studied it? Isaiah 58, 9. We see this right in front of us. It says this. At that time. When you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking. And if you offer yourself. To the hungry, to satisfy the afflicted one. And we could go through all of those things that are listed there. But it says when you put the yoke away, when you take the yoke away, the pointing of the finger, the Lord puts himself at the disposal of his people saying, here I am. How can we hesitate to draw near? God is nigh to forgive, to bless, to comfort, to help, to quicken, to deliver. Let it be the main point with us to get near to our God. This is what we have to do. If we draw near to others, they may go long weary of us and they'll walk away. 
if if we draw near to the Lord, there's not a change that will come over his mind. There's nothing that will grow him weary of us. We are his. And if we continue to draw near, he will continue to draw us in. A.W. Tozer said, why aren't Christians the happiest, most easeful people in all the world? Because we have we seek to have our rest in things, things like our jobs, our material goods, possessions or people. We're not we're not happy people because our mindset is on worldly things. We put our confidence in things. And. We might put our confidence in God also. We put our confidence in God and job. We put our our confidence in God and health. We put our confidence in God and wealth. We place a plus sign after God instead of a period. Our confidence should be in God. And God alone. You ask me, well, don't you have things? Yeah, sure I do. I understand that. I have a lot of things in this life. I have books. I have a car. I have a home. I have a job. Don't get me wrong. I have all the things. But my confidence is not in those things. And if I had a wife and kids and all of that thing. But my confidence wouldn't be in those things. As soon as I set my hopes and my comfort upon things and on people, I lose something out of my heart. It must be God and nothing else. Then whatever else God gives me, I can hold at an arm's length. But understand, I don't have to put my confidence in anything. When all else fails, there's one that still stands and it is God Almighty. If there's anything necessary for your eternal happiness... But God, you're not yet the kind of Christian that you ought to be. This kind of Christianity doesn't draw big crowds. It draws only those who have their hearts set on God and who want God more than anything else in this world. And then we see the promises that God again makes to Abram. Look, Abram never received the land. He received a new name. That's about the most we see. He received Abraham. But Abraham didn't receive the land promised of God in his lifetime. He lived his life in a tent, never owning that promised land. But one day he will. How? When the millennial kingdom comes. Now don't argue with me and tell me Abraham is dead. Or Abram is dead. He isn't. Years after his death, God spoke of Abraham and said, I am the God of Abraham. Not I was the God of Abraham. I am the God of Abraham. He is alive and he will enter that land in a glorified body, just like the saints. Now, it might sound strange to those who do not have spiritual discernment to hear someone say that. And I'm not saying I'm perfect by any stretch. But the one who ultimately owns every inch of this world is a believer. Don't under, don't believe me? Listen, everything Bill Gates or Donald Trump or anybody else owns in this world actually belongs to the believer. 
See, this is why the other night I went through the Beatitudes. One day we will possess it all. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Do you believe that? 1 Corinthians 3, 21 and 22. Therefore, let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours. Paul says all workers are yours. All the world is yours. The whole life, of, the whole of life and death, the wealth, everything present or to come, whatever, all all means all. And that's all all means. It's greater than you think. What would you buy if you were a billionaire? A computer? A phone? car? A boat? Abraham was wealthy. But he could not buy any of those things. They didn't even exist. But beyond that... His wealth by today's standards means very little. At best, he could maybe buy some more cows. But our wealth today, by their standards, meant very little. It means nothing compared to the wealth of eternity, folks. You cannot buy glorified anything. You can't buy a body that will travel through space without a spaceship. You can't buy a life without paying bills or death. Wealth today is nothing compared to the wealthy and the wealth that we will enjoy throughout eternity. We simply cannot imagine how wonderful it will be. But we don't have to fight and fret over the things we think should be ours. Too many times today in this world, there are fights and it's fights about stuff. I think we deserve this. We deserve that. This is what this promises me. It's worldly, folks. It's all worldly. We don't have to fight to seek to get what is ours. We just have to wait. Stand firm on the word of God and wait it out. Because it is already yours. You don't have to demand it be given to you from anyone. Abram didn't chase lot and say god promised me the land sure we might not see it in our lifetime part of the problem is we know that we do not deserve nor we could ever afford the blessings i heard about a card collector one time who had to abandon collecting the cards because he didn't have the resources he later entered a career that allowed him to take it up again. And one of the enticements was to insert rare cards, the, the, the rare cards that were in the packs of inexpensive cards. And he purchased one of the packs and was amazed to find one of the rarest cards within it. It had a real autograph on it. It was one of those serendipitous moments. And he wasn't sure if it was really what he thought it was. The shock eventually wore off. The realization kicked in that he had found something in that pack that he bought for $5. And that's how God's promise is. We, we have the package that everyone has. But deep buried within it is something rare that the world has never seen. And it's worth more than money could buy. 
it's truly like something out of a fairy tale. It's shocking in its enormity, and it's something that could not be purchased with all the money on the world. We must be mindful that God has made promises, and he will be propitiated. Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt in the land. Verse 18. You see, he never got away with the substance. The, the substitutionary death of Christ. He never got away from it. It's exactly what those sacrifices pointed to. He, he, he built an altar to the Lord, a sacrifice, and those sacrifices pointed to Christ as the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of God's people. If you ask me why I speak of the blood of Christ in every message I share, understand this. This is greater than the blood that cleanses all from sin. It is the righteous life that is imputed on our account. We are not righteous. He makes us his righteousness. If someone had killed someone, shot him dead and you remove the bullet the cause of death will that bring the man back to life no he must have life the cause of our death is sin but we need more than just removing our sin and Christ did so much more than just forgiving Romans five seventeen. for it was by one man's offense death reigned in through the one much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You know, the reality is this. God was, we, we pretend to, that God was really satisfied through the substitutionary death of Christ. But we pretend that we were righteous. We pretend that we are doing what is right, but we don't really believe it. We pretend that Christ has accepted us, but we don't really believe it. We start out pretending, but soon God will move in on us. And it astounds us. We find an experience where the Holy Spirit takes hold. Look, perhaps you're a slow starter. We all start slow. I, I, I jokingly say this, but that's what the prayers of our mothers were for. Because our mothers are praying that the slow start that we've gotten will come to fruition in God. Look, we have to work at making progress, but the goal is not progress, but conformity to God's will for the glory of God. The only thing that progresses for the sake of progress is a cancer cell. And we know how destructive cancer can be. Let's close in prayer this morning. If you have a decision to make, make it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have made a promise to us to 
uphold your truth, uphold your grace. We thank you, Lord, for praying mothers who pray that that slow start we get in life will always come to fruition in you. So, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to go with us. Lead us, direct us, Lord. Help us to be like Abram and to separate from the lots of our life, from the worldly ways that so angrily tie us down and deceive us into trusting. When the reality is, is that the only thing our trust should be in is you. Go with us, lead us, and direct us, Lord. If there be any who need to hear from you, who need to feel a touch from you, who need to experience you, then, Lord, I pray that they would. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our services here on the Newland Christian Church daily devotional podcast this is our weekend service you're welcome to join us we have sunday school at 10 a.m service at 11 on sunday mornings sunday evenings we meet at 6 p.m and on wednesday evenings we meet at 6 p.m every service is also streamed live on our facebook page you can get more information about newland christian church at newlandchristianchurch.com or facebook.com slash newland christian church hope you have a blessed day in the lord